The following podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It does not reflect the views or opinions of my university or its affiliates. Hello there and welcome, as always, to the Sister Wives Professor. That's me. I'm Dr. Adam, a professor of interpersonal and family communication and a very long-time follower of the TLC series Sister Wives. And that, as always, is why I'm here today, <laughs> is to talk to you about that show and also to thank you for making this podcast a very small part of your day. I really do appreciate it. A couple things to talk about first, of course, I have to say thank you to my amazing patrons over at patreon.com slash the sister wives professor. For those of you that don't know, I recently did a guest spot with Amy and Amanda on Little Miss Recap. And if you are not subscribed to that podcast, and especially if you are a fan like I am of intelligent women being unfiltered and talking about friendship life, and especially reality television. If you're not subscribed to Little Miss Recap, you're really missing out, so I recommend you check that out. I let my hair down a little bit, so it's definitely a different side of me than you get on this podcast, but I think that's a good thing. I contain multitudes. <laughs> Let's talk about the episode, specifically Sister Wives Season 2, Episode 9, titled No Place for Home. Like the last few episodes of the show, it opens with B-roll of the Brown family's home in the winter, the yard covered in snow. We see the pasture across the street and some brown kids playing and even shoveling snow for fun in the yard. There's that shaggy-haired dog that we saw recently that I don't know that dog's name, and I'm very curious. I'm always curious about the brown pets that don't get featured that much. Adults all on the couch, every brown adult, everyone smiling, notably except for Cody including Janelle, who has a very warm smile looking right at the camera. It makes me wonder what people were saying right before this shot started. You know, in the edit, just curious. I wonder what was going on, because everybody seems to be in a good mood, except for Cody. But then Cody starts to talk about moving to Vegas to preserve their family, trying to sell this sort of veneer of they have no choice in the matter, which I think we've learned in the interim wasn't really accurate. Notably, Christine is on the far left of the screen on the couch. Usually that's like mirrored. Usually when you look at the adults on the couch, Christine's on the farthest spot to the right, sometimes next to Cody on the right, rarely on the left. She's not happy either. She says that she does not, with emphasis, she puts it in her voice, she does not feel this is what they're supposed to do. The editors, I think, unnecessarily put in a dramatic dun noise like we get at this sort of trying to evoke pathos in these episodes it's really starting to i don't know if it's starting to annoy me but I, I don't like it cody opens a hand and gestures toward christine on the couch and with some frustration in his voice with christine says that he and christine finally came to a point where he as leader had to make a decision and everyone else had to get on board so he's being more patriarchal and more unilateral in his decision making than we've seen for the most part so far. Certainly not the most we will end up seeing in the show by any means, but it's starting to bleed through that perhaps the Brown family and their culture, their family culture, and also the culture of the AUB 
is not this utopian, I don't want to say feminist, but, you know, balanced approach to polygamy that the Browns really tried to sell us, especially in the early seasons. Robin is watching Christine very intently, by the way, and Christine gets a bit fired up and kind of pushes back, mirroring Cody's language a bit. She's not yelling, but, but she's fired up, says, at the same time, she made the decision this is not right for our family and says it's going to tear our family apart. It, it, kind of funny, right? I'm Monday morning quarterbacking, of course, but Christine was correct. You can argue that the move to Vegas was a symptom of bigger issues that would have torn the Brown family apart anyway, but I don't think there's really much argument that the move to Vegas exacerbated things and really gave space for the family to change into the version of the Brown family that we see today with everyone like completely separate, because they really, from this point forward, the move forward, the separation happens in stages, and then the stages start to move faster and faster and become more pronounced, and this is really the beginning of the end, I guess, in a way that I don't think Christine even really predicted or could have seen coming, based upon the information that they had available to them at the time. Certainly I didn't, as a viewer. Cody, I honestly think, insincerely puts on some sort of fake thoughtfulness and sort of eh, fake... He, he comes across as disingenuous when he's trying to modulate his tone and says, well, no one wants to do it. You will see Cody absolutely giddy about this move. He's so excited, but he can't portray that in front of Christine right now. And Mary interrupts to agree with Cody and finish his thoughts saying, but they all see the need. Which is interesting because Mary's kind of steamrolling Christine here because even if Christine sees a need to move, she clearly doesn't want to for Mary to speak for everybody. And this moment did not feel like a healthy way to acknowledge Christine. It seemed maybe currying favor with Cody, maybe trying to just end the conversation. I don't know, but whatever Mary's motivation was, Cody likes it. He agrees with Mary, which of course he does. Christine starts talking about how the move is in a week and a half, and matter-of-factly, both she and Robin kind of break down that there are 10 days left of school for the kids before a brief break, and then the new semester begins in Vegas. Robin completes the thought for Christine, but Christine doesn't mind. She just sort of nods in agreement. I'm not sure how this works, by the way. I actually paused the episode and did some searching online trying to figure out what they were talking about, because it's winter, theoretically. And they say there's a week between semesters. But wouldn't the week break be spring break? And that's not really between semesters. Quarters, maybe? Does anybody have a winter break that's only a week long? Because the brown kids, other than Leon, are in public school. What is happening? Can someone explain this to me? Was this just a weird editing thing? Like, is this just, like things filmed at different times being combined, because that happens a lot, but usually I can kind of figure that out, but obviously not always. Anyway, whatever's going on, Mary says she's a bit nervous about having to find a place to land, as she puts it, when they arrive in Vegas, and she's looking at Cody, I think, for nonverbal support. Cody, not for the last time in this episode, refers to what they're doing as a reconnaissance trip to see what's available. Robin looks a bit nervous, eyes moving around a bit, says she, Mary, and Cody are leaving tomorrow to scout out houses, Cody doesn't seem super confident. His eyes are wide and he's shaking his head and shrugs. Says hopefully they'll find homes. I've done this. It's weird to take a trip when you don't know a new area that well. Like we've had to move because of job changes and stuff. And Amanda and I have had to go and scout out homes. And you don't even necessarily know the neighborhoods or the school systems. And there's so much when you have to do it relatively quickly. It is stressful. 
Speaking of stress, Madison and Aspen in the big house standing there explaining that they've put signs on little index cards all over the house with things like hearts and rainbows that say be positive. Kind of heartbreaking to me. They explain that this is for the parents as the parents have been so negative lately. This really, I'm sorry, this really shouldn't be falling on the teenagers. It should be the other way around. That's your job as an adult. And it's easy for me to say, but your teenagers having to emotionally care for their parents is never healthy. If that's a chronic thing, that can cause, like, right, parentification, anxiety, trouble in romantic relationships later where people see themselves as their role is to be a servant at their own expense. It might seem to you like I'm being over the top with this, but I'm not. This this does happen. Now, does it happen to everybody put in that situation? Of course not. But I've been through it myself. I have great parents. I'm not complaining, but my parents divorced, and it became my role with self-preservation to try to maintain the mood of my parents when they were around. And I was quite young. I was in like sixth, seventh grade. And that was not easy. And honestly, folks, reflecting on it, I shouldn't have been put in that emotional position. So if I'm a little bit more sensitive about this, I do apologize. It's not my intention. Cody talking about these signs. He's wearing a gray Utah hoodie, and he's in the doorway leading to Christine's apartment. The door's kind of half shut. He's blocking it, I think, because I hear water running, probably a shower inside. And so somebody in Christine's house, in the in the big house, you know what I mean, might be taking a shower, and Cody doesn't want them accidentally getting on camera and a towel or whatever. Cody says there are a lot of emotional challenges, so the children have decided to correct them. Again, that should not be what your kids have to do. I'm sorry, it, it shouldn't be. Aspen says that they need to focus on the positive, and Madison echoes this. More of these parentified teenagers, by the way, as all the teens are on the couch. And Logan may be the best example of this. He's continuing to show a lot of emotional maturity. He's seated next to a very visibly emotional Leon. And Logan talks about how his dad must be and how his dad must feel because it's worst for him, which is really impressive perspective taking. I, I have to compliment Logan on that, but it's hard to see him be so mature considering he's in so much pain and he is not an adult yet. Madison, too, very visibly upset, looking at her siblings for support, says her dad could go to jail and their family split up. Logan, which is rare for him, is not making eye contact with the camera at all. He talks about how all the siblings have seen other families be split up. So I guess this is a very real thing for them. It's very present. They, it's not just an abstract concept. Logan gets a little mad, says it's a lifestyle, their family's way of life. It's not a crime. They're not doing anything wrong. Leon and Hunter both looking downward, very sad, not speaking at all. Logan talks about the need to step it up for the younger kids and keep a good vibe. Again, this is emotional weight carried by these young people. They shouldn't have to. Yes, the little kids should be protected, but so should these teenagers. I'm sorry, that's how I feel. You contrast this, though, with footage outside in the snow of a very young Gwendolyn holding this huge slab of snow and just dumping it on her sister Savannah, yelling, Happy birthday, Savannah! That was hilarious. That I liked. Cody washing some dishes or kind of rinsing the dishes before putting them in the dishwasher anyway as Logan is looking on and some smaller kids are milling about. Logan says every Friday Cody does the dishes and Cody quite sternly says he needs help and he sort of barks an order at Dayton telling him stack the dishes. Logan, authoritative but softer in tone, is talking to Dayton about how to do this, you know, optimally because everybody's got their opinion seemingly on how to properly load a dishwasher. 
You'd think there'd be more consensus, but folks, there's really not. Dayton, probably with a peek into how Robin's kids were raised differently than the rest of the Brown kids, says it's been years since he's loaded a dishwasher, and he seems almost kind of taken aback that he's being asked to do this. This is a peek into what we call the acculturation process of Robin's kids. They're not as blended and seamlessly integrated as the Browns keep wanting to say they are. If you're on Patreon, you know this, but I recently just put out like a 40-minute-plus bonus podcast on Robin and her entering the family and a little bit about her kids talking all about acculturation. So if that interests you, I thought it turned out okay. Cody points a thumb at Logan twice, looking directly at the camera, doing his kind of, hey, it's the Cody Brown show gimmick that he doesn't do as much, but he's still holding on to at this point. Says the Marines want Logan as a drill sergeant. Logan plays it off, walking away, says, yeah, but I don't yell that loud. This is very coded praise of Logan's parentification, giving him positive reinforcement for, in essence, parenting his younger siblings. I think it's kind of messed up. Dayton playfully reacts, says, go, 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 soldier. Dayton continues to really remind me of me at his age. I don't know how I feel about it. That's not a slam on Dayton. But when you are brought back to like vulnerable parts of your life, it can just feel a little funny. You know, I hope that makes sense. Christine, Janelle, and Robin are on the couch. No Mary, no Cody. Christine does that girlish covering of the mouth with her hand gesture she used to do. Says they're going to throw Mary a surprise birthday party. Janelle smiles a bit, not too much, but it does seem like a genuine smile. Robin is watching Christine speak, and Robin says it's hard to surprise Mary. And Janelle says that she will be floored if Mary doesn't know by the time it happens. And Christine agrees with this, so everybody either has experienced this, or honestly, I think in Robin's case, she hasn't, but she's heard enough people talk about it, and she's credentialing like she likes to do at this point. Janelle says Mary's like a detective. Mary is kind of like Batman. She's scary. She does the gruff Batman voice when she's mad, and she's a detective. Robin, and this, by the way, is cluing me in that this party might be a TLC plotline, because Robin at this point, if you go back and watch it, Robin seems a lot more rehearsed. She seems, she doesn't, she doesn't seem like she normally does when she's talking at this point. Now, this could be that she already said this once and the editor wanted her to go back and say the exact same thing again for a better take. That can happen a lot. You might notice this a lot if you watch like house hunting shows. When the people are walking into the room, they've had to walk into the room a bunch of times and say the same thing. So sometimes they sound more natural than others. That might be what's going on. Anyway, Robin says Mary can't snoop around as they'll be gone in Vegas. Christine does smile and gives a small nod to this as Robin speaks. She agrees with her. Robin, Leon, Christine, Janelle, and a bunch of other people roll into a family friend's home who we learn is named Corey. Robin explains that Corey owns her own business and as a gift to Mary will cater the party for free, which is very kind. Everybody's seated at a table now and Corey is breaking down the food options. We cut back to the couch where Christine reveals for the first time that the party is 70s themed. Robin points out Mary was born in the 70s and asks, who doesn't want to dress up like a flower child? Christine kind of shrugs and widens her eyes, I think, in agreement. At first I thought she was kind of downplaying it, like, oh, I don't want to, but that doesn't seem like Christine. Christine really gets behind things. I love the 70s theme, by the way, can I tell you? I love parties. I love parties for any reason. I don't, I don't need a reason. I love dressing up. Wider shot of Corey's table with a red tablecloth on it, some glasses, pens, and notebooks. Lots of people are around the table, including folks who are not notable Brown family members. Robin is sort of laying out what'll happen as far as who's going to go buy decorations, and 
Turns out one of the folks I did not recognize immediately is one of Mary's sisters, who's named Rebecca. I don't remember seeing Rebecca again in the show, though I could be wrong, we'll find out. Rebecca recommends that they include some pet rocks in the 70s theme, which I love this idea, and they do end up making their own pet rocks, which was cute. This idea is a big hit, gets a big laugh from Christine and everyone else. They all seem to be having fun around the table, and Robin in a voiceover echoes this, says they need to have fun with everything going on. They really genuinely seem to be enjoying this process, so maybe this was a TLC idea, maybe it wasn't, but even if it was, people are having a nice time, which is just nice to see. Cody in the car leaving on what he once again refers to as his reconnaissance trip. I guess he's like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible here, which is kind of appropriate because this mission will turn out to be impossible for him. He's talking on the couch again, and he has those wide eyes and head shake. He doesn't seem confident about this trip being successful. On the couch with Robin and Mary, Cody talks about discussing the situation and Robin describes the perfect situation as basically what Cody ends up pitching to the family in season 14, which is one big house with a wing for each wife. He makes the pantomime that everybody knows with your thumb and your pinky making a phone with his hand. He describes telling a realtor about the importance of having one home or at least being as close as possible. He sounds a little bit frustrated, but not too much. Cody says, no matter how big a home in Vegas, the max seems to always be five bedrooms. He doesn't like this. He stumbles and trips over his words a bit, says no big family thing like in Utah. He says all the wives want him to say goodnight every night. And so what do they do? They kind of pivot to the idea of separate homes in close proximity. And Robin starts talking over Cody, moving her arms in circles, illustrating like the space they would be in and talking about wanting to be close by. And Cody agrees with her. I've watched this episode a bunch of times and this season a bunch of times. And this is the first time it ever occurred to me that they never talk about buying one of those large homes and remodeling the inside and, you know, just get a ton of square footage and make your own floor plan, redo it, knock down walls, put up walls, whatever. Now, that would be expensive because you have the mortgage and then you have renovation costs on top of it and it would take a lot of time. But building those custom homes took a lot of money and a lot of time too. So I'm just, I wonder if this it just never came up, never occurred to anybody. And again, to be fair, it never occurred to me until taking notes for this episode that I've seen so many times. So one of the joys for me of doing this podcast and talking to you is I'm always discovering new things about the show that I, I didn't think I would have anything new to talk about. So that's fun. In Vegas, we see Robin's dad for the first time ever walking with Cody, Mary, and Robin, though we don't see very much of him. She admits that her father had lived in the area for some time, there were a lot of theories that this was one of the major reasons for the move to Vegas. I can't help but feel like those are at least somewhat correct, that this was at least a big piece. Cody, all his veneer of, oh, this is so hard, this is just what we have to do, is gone. He is bebopping all over the place, doing his Ric Flair doo-doo pants, strut to the car. He's so happy. He loves moving. He loves change. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think Cody Brown is a man that is always looking for exterior fixes to interior issues. So what can I change outside of me? What new thing can I bring in to fix the inside of me? And folks, I've been there. I've done the therapy. It doesn't work. You know who does work is Mona. We meet Mona, the real estate agent who seems stressed, busy, Caring and thoughtful. In other words, she's a real estate agent. 
She says that the home that the Browns want just does not exist in Vegas. She's looking away from the camera a lot. She's not bad on camera by any means, but she's not as practiced as she'll be later. She does say the Vegas market is really good right now. I guess it's a really strong buyer's market at the time in Vegas. Can you imagine right now a really strong buyer's market, folks? I can't. What did that ever exist? Oof. Anyway, Cody finds a few houses next to each other in a cul-de-sac that he says they can't afford. But Robin does now start to key in that maybe, you know, we need homes in the same cul-de-sac, foreshadowing what's going to come in the future. Cody gets, I don't know if he's sad, but he's at least more subdued. He says there's a black lining to all this. Is black lining a thing? I've heard silver lining like thousands of times. I don't know if I've ever heard someone say black lining. Have you heard that before? Let me know. Robin locks in on him as he says this with like uninterrupted eye contact. He says that he struggles when all the kids aren't in the same home. I was left wondering if he's sort of channeling his memories of when Janelle had took her kids and kind of moved out. They talk about this in the book. It's definitely a big contrast to now. It's really weird to hear him sound genuinely emotional about this idea of not being with his, all of his kids every day, because that becomes the norm pretty quick. Mary, notably, as he says this, looks at him and smiles a bit with a closed mouth and nods in agreement. She seemed to like that he said this. If I were to make an inference here, it would be that he is validating that Leon, and then by proxy Mary, being around all the time is important to him. I think she liked that. They are now at what I thought was a party city, but it's called Partyland. You know Dr. Adam. I did a Google. The Lehigh, Utah Partyland location is closed. Another one bites the dust. On the couch, Christine and Janelle explain again the 70s theme, and Janelle now points out, almost kind of confused, Mary was born in the 70s? I don't think Janelle is as clued into this as she could have been and may have been playing solitaire in her head during most of the party planning. Christine, smiling, says it's also way fun, the theme that is. They get themselves a disco ball, gender pendants, clothes. Again, they seem to be having so much fun. It's, it's kind of infectious watching this. They pitch Cody wearing an open shirt with a medallion, and Leon refers to that as creepy, which is valid. But Dr. Adam has a mantra in life that anything worth doing is worth overdoing, especially parties. This was a really quick scene. I found myself wishing it was longer because I, I liked seeing the costumes. We'll see more costumes in a bit, but it was effective editing because it was quick cuts, quick scene, give you kind of a rush, made you feel like, wow, this is fun, this is exciting. All the adults on the couch again. Christine, very stern, once more, even a bit angry, says she just doesn't feel right about Cody, Mary, and Robin's trip to find housing. Cody does not like this. Cody wants everyone to be on board so badly because he wants this move so much. His eyes are downcast. He's unhappy. Christine is looking up towards the ceiling, not making eye contact with anybody. Well, she doesn't sound insecure in her voice. She sounds quite steely. Says, why would they be expected to have to leave her community? She sounds incredulous, like this is just a ridiculous idea. Cody has his arm around Mary. Christine is still on that far end of the couch, by the way. He validates Christine to some point. He does say it, it is unfair. He licks his lips, which tends to denote nervousness or dehydration looking at Christine and says they have to keep their family together and they have to do it and they leave in eight days. Well, there you go. Back in Vegas, very clear contrast, Cody is so excited. He's Ric Flair woo, strutting around the cul-de-sac. He's just buzzing about the idea of having houses next to each other. And Robin too was buying into this dream of the cul-de-sac and 
talks about kids being able to play out in the cul-de-sac, being safe, playing together. Cody compliments Mona, calls her a dream, and Robin agrees, but her voice is kind of quiet. Cody with Mona on speakerphone in the cul-de-sac. Mona says their financing will be difficult, but she knows a developer who owns four new homes in a subdivision and is willing to talk about leasing. They talk about leasing and owner financing, and it's a little bit unclear to me. Cody almost goes weak in the knees. He, like, bobs down, bends his knees, and bobs back up, smiling, beaming, says, oh, you have to meet him right away, in his, like, Cody Brown tickle pants voice. Robin is smiling a lot. Mary looks happy, too, but she's not as overt with her emotional display as either Cody or Robin. Mary is not to the degree of Janelle, but Mary is not the most demonstrative person emotionally. That's not a criticism. She's just different. Cody is still almost as excited about it back on the couch as he's recounting four homes, same street, a guy considering owner financing. Now, owner financing can be good. If you if you can't get traditional financing because of just the way things have gone down, you know, if traditional financing is hard for the buyer, the seller, if you finance, you're the owner, right? In this case, if you're the seller, you get to skip the whole process and red tape of a lot of the mortgage stuff. But then as the owner, right, doing the financing, you're committing to getting paid an interest instead of taking the lump sum. There's risk involved. I don't know. It's not exactly a perfect situation for anybody, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But the Browns are not very good about thinking things through, especially financially, and they roll up to a place called TaylorMade, ready to drop some chingle chingle. I did look up TaylorMade. It's not in Lehigh, but it is still open. Hey, that's nice. And this place looked so fun. I want to go to there. Lots of costumes, masks, all kinds of stuff I love. I'm a Halloween enthusiast. I love costumes. My whole life, I guess I've just always loved to pretend I was something other than me. I don't know. Even today, and I'm I'm very happy with who I am. I'm very accepting of who I am. There's still something just kind of thrilling about being something or someone else. Christine, with help from an employee of TaylorMade, looks through a folder marked Groovy, which I thought was fun, so it's all like 60s and 70s stuff. Janelle seems to be really having a fun time, which is nice. I always like seeing Janelle buy into things and just getting excited. They point to a particularly ugly outfit, which they say is for Robin, which is hilarious. And Robin receives a text and a photo of this, and she confirms that it is, as she puts it, horrendous. So she didn't want to admit it to them, but did tell them, please be serious. Janelle calls one dress like a plague dress, and Christine loudly says, never mind. Too conservative even for them, not the last time that the polygamist sort of culty type dresses will be invoking negative emotions in the Browns, but we'll get to that in a later episode. I want to reiterate, TaylorMade looks amazing. It's like a spirit Halloween, but less of the overtly spooky stuff and just more dense, just way more costuming stuff and less just walkable space and big setup of, you know, elaborate decorations and everything. Christine puts on some big flared swirly colored bell bottoms in the store, puts them right on. So I do hope she bought them out of fairness to everyone else. Says she's going to dance her pants off. Girl, go get it. I've seen you get married. I've seen you nearly dance David's pants off. And uh, I still don't know that I've quite come to terms with it. Anyway, if this comment gets a laugh from someone, Janelle, not so much. Janelle is just, you know, stern as ever, and in fact, a little bit aggravated as they spend over $194. 
Janelle goes, whew. Sorry, Janelle. Fun costs money. Back in Vegas, on the home hunt, Cody in a voiceover talking again about the four homes idea. He gets out of that car, smiles with some tight closed eyes, and pumps a fist. It's almost like invoking the weird sugar rush dance from when they were doing the cake testing. Cody gets so stimulated sometimes. He's so excited. It's really belying how much he wants to move to Vegas. He loves this move. He has no reservations about it whatsoever, beyond trying to pretend he does, I think, to get more buy-in from the other people in the family. He's walking between Mary and Robin. He has both hands in his pockets, which is a rare sign of insecurity from him, so it, that may not be what it was. He says the proximity, the homes, he calls it the hook for other people that could keep the family together. And I feel like he meant the hook as in to convince everyone else that this is worth doing. He even says pushing a pool for a home is a hook for the kids, so he does seem to be wanting to put a little sugar in the medicine here. Cody... I know I keep saying that he's so happy. He's animated. He's excited. Way more so than Mary or even Robin. At one point, he just straight up hops a fence. Kind of like, honestly, I have done when we were looking at homes. Cody, Mary, and Robin all kind of tightrope walk on a stone fence between the properties. This might seem weird to people, but to me, it is very relatable. When I've gone to look at homes I was going to buy and we showed up before the real estate agent arrives, I'm that guy that's wandering the property. And my wife is just like, please don't embarrass me. Quick cuts of party prep, making homemade signs, food being made by Corey and others. The kids are helping out. They're decorating. It's really neat, really fun. Lots of human, childlike touches to the decorations that I really like. Interesting couch combination. It's Janelle, Christine, and Leon, which I don't think I've seen before. They say there's not much time left. Janelle says it's Mary's party, and it's also therapy for them, which seems real. More emphasis on the importance of distracting themselves from what's happening. I have to say I do relate to this. It, it can be an effective thing to do when you can't control an outside situation. Sometimes just distract yourself with something fun. Christine hangs the disco ball in kind of a corner by a bookshelf. I think she's hanging it on a piece of exercise equipment. Young Gabriel raises his open arms, helping, and he describes it how he wants it. He wants it kind of different. It's fun to see him get involved, and Christine acquiesces and tells him to put it where he wants. I think on the other side of the exercise equipment, if I can tell, and then he adjusts the light that goes on the floor that makes the ball shine. Christine very loudly praises Gabriel for how much better it looks, how much better it works, calls him the smartest kid ever. This is very good reinforcing of a child's input especially since Gabriel, as a child, was giving constructive feedback to an adult's decision, which some adults wouldn't handle very well. Christine did. She reinforced him as clever, creative, smart, good parenting. You can tell Gabe liked it too. He smiles a bit in satisfaction. He wasn't real over the top. He's quite calm in how he processed it outwardly, but this was a really nice moment between Christine and Gabriel. Back in Las Vegas, Mona arrives in the cul-de-sac. Let me, let me be clear once again, this is not the permanent cul-de-sac that they'll build houses on. This is something else. Cody smiles and nods as Robin says they like the neighborhood. Mary smiles too, but closed mouth again, not as effusive in her mood. I wonder if she's just not as sure if this will work. Mona finally takes him to look inside the homes, and Cody, you know, gentlemanly, holds the door. Robin takes a lot of phone footage, which Cody calls videotaping, which made me smile. 
Robin says how important it is because Christine is visual and sort of alludes to how she doesn't want to move. So Robin is trying to do whatever she can. I've done this when I looked at homes. I love looking at homes. My wife is not a huge fan past a certain point. So I oftentimes would like FaceTime her or just record some footage so she could get kind of a walkthrough before she goes to like look at it. You know what I mean? Robin also seems to be doing more of her both sizing that she does. So she's very excited about the move, is really on board with Cody, but she also wants to seem supportive of Christine and seem, at least in theory, like she's empathizing with Christine. I don't buy this based upon how she behaves later, by the way. Cody walks into a vacant bedroom, looks like a master. Lots of natural light in this room and brand new carpet. Very nice. He says he hears angels sing. I thought that only happened on Coyote Pass. But whatever it is, this bedroom puts the honey glow in his cheeks. He recounts knowing immediately that it's his and Christine's master bedroom in a voiceover. But in the footage of him in the room itself, he hedges more. He says, this is Christine, but he'll let her decide. That's an interesting contrast, isn't it? Because like, it sort of gives away Cody has already decided, but he's once again maintaining this illusion that perhaps the wives have more authority than they really do, at least in his mind. Christine says that the footage worked. It helped her have a real change of heart about Vegas. On the couch next to a calm and smiling Janelle, Christine, very effusive, says the houses were new, they were beautiful, and she taps her fingers together in anticipation and happiness, says, finally, a whole world of possibilities. Sometimes visualization, really seeing something instead of it being just this abstract, fully negative thing, when you see a place, when you experience it, even semi-vicariously through footage, it can really change your mind. Cody asks Mona about finding homes close by for wives, and Mona, being fair, kind of cocks her head to the side, and with both reluctance but emphasis, says, that's difficult. And she says it's been difficult to find what the Browns want in terms of proximity. Robin on the couch says Mona had to put to bed, in essence, as she puts it, the cobillion bedroom home idea. Cody's outside with Robin, Mary, and Mona, says he wants his kids to grow up as siblings, not cousins. The difference in this man and his priorities? I think he means it. I don't think he's lying in this moment. I think he meant it. I think this is Cody before he suffered such ego wounds in general, and the family just sort of dispersed. I really do think he means it, and it's kind of depressing to see him mean it, because was Cody back then a great guy? By no stretch. Was Cody back then a better, healthier person? Absolutely. It's hard to see any, but maybe you don't feel this way. And if you don't, that's okay. It's hard for me to see any person deteriorate. I don't want to see people get worse. Even people I don't like, especially people I don't like, I want to see them get better the most. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a big baby. On the couch, Cody talks about custom building one big home at some point, so this really was always on his mind. Mary says they're going to put an offer on the homes. Robin quickly looks to and away from Cody, saying they don't have a lot of money, but they do have a lot of faith. Huge smile. Yeah, um, you're going to need money, dude. In a real estate transaction, faith don't get you jack. Cody says the homes are like a godsend. God's behind them. We'll see. Mary, in stark contrast, says, it better work, and puts on one of her sarcastic smiles, says, because we have to move in eight days. Mary, very much a realist in comparison to Cody and Robin right now. Cody in the broker's office is, he's, he's so, he's bought into this dream. 
He's he's doing some math on a whiteboard, mathing out the square footage of all the homes together and how much more square footage it is to the Lehigh house. Kind of surprised me. I thought Robin did all the minuses and the pluses. He's very happy about it. He drops a note about how it's going to be good as they want to have more kids. Hmm. Mary admits that traditional financing won't work. So they're kind of sending this volley to get owner financing, kind of a last-ditch effort. Cody shaking his head, says they're making an offer, and hopefully they'll get an answer in a few days. And they do. Janelle on the couch with Christine talks about Cody, Mary, and Robin being home soon and hoping that the party will stay a surprise. Christine says twice, it better be, it better be. Kids are getting ready, putting fake sideburns on Gabe, making pet rocks with googly eyes, which I love. I got a big bag of googly eyes in my house for just such occasions. You gotta have googly eyes when you have kids, folks. Everyone starts yelling, getting off exit, getting off exit, because the birthday girl's about to arrive. Christine is directing traffic, turning off lights around the house. Janelle, not sure that the little kids will do it, but happily says they did settle down, which surprised her. Kind of a fun moment of anticipation as there's footage of Mary walking up the stairs to the house slowly, everyone waiting inside, and she walks into deafening cheers of surprise. Mary with very genuine smile on her face, joy, happy being greeted, hugged by the little kids. On the couch, she says yes, she was surprised, and Robin and Christine both cheer, yay! Very nice moment. Not even hardly in the door to the house, they hand Mary her dress-up clothes, and she asks kind of incredulously, I have to wear this? Cody puts on the shirt and pendant, but thankfully for Leon and me, he has an undershirt, says he feels so sexy. Mary exits the room with her tie-dye shirt on, asks how's that, and she, she does, she looks fun. Blows out her candle and her cake, looked like a kind of a small cake, had some strawberries on it maybe. She says the 70s theme was cute and fun. Editors put in lots of very quick cuts of happy kids, food, Gabe was dancing, really nice positive scene. Cody talks about the good view of homes made them more at peace with the move and ready to just enjoy the party. Robin says it's been very, very heavy, as she puts it. So having a blast and laughing helped them remember why they're doing this. I guess this is all just allusion to the importance of keeping the family together and preserving these moments. No, they didn't do that, did they? Now on the couch, Mary clarifies the party was a few days ago at this point, and she slowly and hesitantly, with some pausing between words, says their offer was rejected. Cody's frowning, Janelle more matter-of-fact, but she does sound a little sad, says they don't know what the plan B is. Cody says seven days until they move, and he's frowning and stern, and they're finally going to tell the little kids they're moving. He doesn't sound pleased, he even looks up, winces, covers his face with a hand, he really starts crying, really genuinely crying. I think that the weight of his decisions and the letdown from how much he got himself to buy into the dream of those four homes are catching up with him. This is why you don't get in that invested in a home until you've basically moved in. It is hard. It's so hard when you move in in your brain. Oh, that's heartbreaking. And not only that, like he's he's so upset. He He's talking about, he owns the story of Christine's grandfather and being split up in their family. Christine laughs and says, well, we don't want to own the story. I don't think that's what he's crying about. I think it's the houses and I think the weight of upsetting his children. I don't think it's this threat because I don't think that threat was really all that real. I think Cody's just genuinely disappointed that things are not, that there was like this divine providence that God was behind them. Well, it turns out in his perception of the world and the universe, God's not behind them. You know what I mean? Speaking from Cody's perspective because the houses fell through. I don't know. 
Am I a big Cody Brown fan? No, but watching him cry like that, I had real empathy for him because disappointing your family, or especially feeling like I've made the wrong decision for my kids, hurts. And he has no one to blame but himself. Wow, that's the end of the episode. Thank you for listening today. If you want to support me, the best thing you can do if you don't already is follow this podcast on whatever your streaming service is. If you could even leave me a positive review, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. If you like this and you want ad-free podcasts, I even recently had a podcast requested by one of my faculty tier patrons who get to solicit a specific episode of a TV show for me to review for them that very nicely that patron allowed it to be released to everyone at the master's tier and above where I do an in-depth review of the very first episode of Girls Next Door. So if you want to hear Dr. Adam talk about life in the Playboy Mansion, patreon.com slash the sister wives professor is your exclusive place to find it. If you just want to talk to me, send me an email, the sister wives professor at gmail.com. I'm happy to hear from you. My name's Dr. Adam. I'm a teacher. I'm a researcher. I'm a follower of Sister Wives. And I want to thank you one more time today for letting me be your noise. I really do appreciate it. Please be kind to yourself. You do deserve kindness. You were not created to experience pain. You were created to experience joy. I can't wait to talk to you again. I'll see you later. Bye for now. The thing-